Heavenly Father, we, uh, we thank you so much once again for the gift that is the Magnificat, the, uh, the song of the mother of our Lord, and to see how she would praise your name when she receives this most blessed uh, proclamation, this most amazing gift. So we pray, God, that we would just um, honor you and honor her and, and that our, our hearts would um, be positioned uh, to tell out our souls uh, the greatness of your name. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. So actually, the, um, the appointed hymn, uh, the appointed psalm today, it's not a psalm, but it's a song, the appointed song in the service is the Magnificat. So we're singing... Uh, what was it, 437, I think? It was actually not the tune I expected. Um, the, uh, it's, uh, this is the second time this Advent that the tune that I know is not the tune that, that you all uh, know. But it's, um, but it's a, uh, so this, this time you got, you got what you wanted, I guess. But the, um, the uh, nevertheless, it is just a wonderful, a wonderful song. So we looked, uh, two weeks ago we looked at the Annunciation, the birth of Jesus foretold by the angel. Uh, to Mary, and uh, that was um, it. Was amazing. It's amazing to see her initial reaction. Uh, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And we said, what a great, um, a great posture that is for all of us. And we said uh, also last week we looked at Mary visiting Elizabeth, and the we began to look at the song itself. And um, if anyone stood to judge a. Uh, young, unwed, preg- pregnant uh, mother, the, uh, it was Elizabeth, long, barren, and uh, always righteous, and yet she rejoiced uh, at the presence, by the Holy Spirit, rejoiced at uh, the coming of Mary, and in fact, John the Baptist uh, leapt in her womb, the, o- the other miracle uh, birth in this story, uh, miracle conception, at least. So it is... Um, so we are going to look now, uh, Mary, as she talks initially about how the Lord has treated her. Uh, my soul magnifies the Lord, uh, she says famously. My spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for He has looked on the humble estate of His servant. And she's speaking singularly there. That's, that's, he's looking on her, His servant. All generations will call me blessed. Uh, but then he, he goes, and then, well, verse 49, For he who is mighty has done great things for me, meaning me who I am lowly. Um, and, uh, then ho- and holy is his name. But then she, she broadens it out. Uh, she talks uh, about the pattern of the Lord's righteousness, of which she is uh, a sort of um, microcosm. The way that he is treating her is just how he works. Uh, for all people. So she sings, and, and I, you know, I don't know the, the, um, if she just sang it just like this right there, if, if uh, I imagine there's some massaging over history, but this is certainly what the Lord wants us to know about her spirit. It is reflective of her, um, her own discipleship, her own faith. Uh, this is what uh, God has for us, uh, for Mary. So she says this, His mercy is for those who fear Him. From generation to generation. He has shown strength with His arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich 
He has sent away empty. He has helped His servant Israel in remembrance of His mercy as He spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to His offspring forever. And Mary remained with her, Elizabeth, about three months and returned to her home. And the next thing we have is, um, in those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree. Right. So, I just think it's just so interesting and so inspiring uh, that this is the direction that she takes her song of praise. And I think about myself, and I think about uh, the people that I know, and I'm not sure we, most of us would take it this direction. I mean, she's obviously under the influence of the Holy Spirit. But uh, I think we would, at least I would, uh, focus on myself. And she uses herself as a, as a springboard to talk about God and His character and His, his might and His uh, relationship to all of Israel and all the world. And I, um, I don't usually think that broadly <laughs> when I think about how God has blessed me. Uh, I don't think that broadly when I, when I think about how I want Him to move in this church. Uh, when I think about uh, how I want Him to work within my family, I basically just want Him to fix things. And that's sort of how I, um, I, I often catch myself uh, it's really only in those, uh, those best moments where I say, what, what can we do beyond just what I want, Lord? What can, how can you take us to the nations? How can you um, help us to reach our neighborhood? How can you... Ha- and it's just, the, those, are, those moments are fewer and farther between, for me anyway, I don't know about you, but for me, they're fewer and farther between than, um, than when I'm just thinking about myself. And so, uh, she doesn't draw, Mary doesn't draw attention to herself. She does marvel that he would choose her and recognizes the uniquely favored position that she has been given. But her soul magnifies the Lord. Not look at me and what God has done for me, but she wants what what He has done in her and through her and for her to reflect and revert back to Him for His own glory. My soul magnifies the Lord. Her soul helps us, we said last week, her soul helps us to see things that are there that we might have missed otherwise. That's what magnification does. When I talked about when I you know, looked in the, under the microscope at the pond water for, uh, in high school uh, that I could see amoebas, they were already there. I just couldn't see them. And the microscope, the magnification helped me see those things. So Mary is helping us to see things about God that are already there that we might miss otherwise. It doesn't mean they're small things, um, but our, it, she is directing our attention. And what she is magnifying is the trait of God in which her story is a microcosm uh, that God lifts up the lowly. I mean, she refers to herself as, as one of humble or lowly estate um, and God, it is His practice, His MO, that He lifts up the lowly. Now the flip side of that, of course, is that He humbles the proud. So He lifts up the lowly, and He humbles the proud. Isaiah uh, chapter 40, verse 4 says, uh, promises, Every mountain shall be made low, and every valley shall be lifted up. I've said before that the gospel is the great leveler. The gospel uh, of Jesus, the gospel that says that we we stand in need of a Savior and we have one, the gospel says to us that, that we are far more in need of a Savior than we could ever imagine. We're far more sinful 
than we uh, would ever begin to think about ourselves. Our sin is not just sort of the things that we do and things that we leave undone, but it goes to our deepest motivations, to our thoughts, words, and deeds. It's our sin is not ultimately a list of things that we sh- are, that we do or do not do. It is a list of uh, it is the motivation of our heart to be God, to put ourselves uh, in God's rightful place. It doesn't mean we want to control the universe. It just means that we want to be in control of our own lives. We want to be the center of things for ourselves. That is our. Uh, we want to control our orbit. And that's, that is the base of sin. That is the base of rebellion. And that is why Jesus came. Now that does have global implications. I mean, I think there are global consequences for personal sin. Um, I didn't mean that the world's being um, punished for your iniquity. It just means that, that collectively, as a fallen and broken world, we have... Uh, environmental things, military things, all sorts of uh, things that are uh, just a res- the brokenness of our world is a result of human sin because we are the pinnacle of creation. And so as we are broken, so creation is broken. Does that make, does that make sense? Is that sort of a, that sound churchy? Is that a, is that a weird thought? You want to push back on that at all? Makes sense? Okay. All right. So, um, and so the gospel says that we're far more sinful, but it also says that we're far more loved than we ever dared dream. Uh, Part of the reason why we want to um, put ourselves in God's position is because we don't think that we could possibly be loved that much. And it is this thought that if we put ourselves forward, then people will love us more or we'll get more affirmation. And I'm not saying this is all conscious, uh, but it's just the way it works out uh, in our life. And the gospel takes the mountains and squishes them low, takes the valleys and brings them up. Now, I think, and I may be getting ahead of myself in my notes, but I think that, that, that they come to the same place. The, the gospel is the great leveler. It, it, makes, it brings us to the plain. But for the ones who are up high, that's an awful fall. And for the ones who are low, it's a glorious uplifting, but we end up at the same place. It just feels completely different. Uh, there's a great humility involved in that. And a humiliation, in a sense, a, a squishing of the things that we held dear, our idols, uh, if there is a, uh, a fall, the, if we're on the mountain being made low. And there is a wonderful uh, redemption uh, if we are in the valley and lifted up. And, and more than likely, those, both of those things are going to happen to us multiple times in our life in multiple ways. The gospel is the great leveler. So verse 50 is where she begins to really broaden uh, it out. His mercy is, is for those who fear Him from generation to generation. I'm going to just take a minute to think about that verse. Because this is, I think what she does is she explains that over the next couple of verses. Uh, the first, verse 51, his, verse 50, His mercy is for those who fear Him from generation to generation. 51, this is what she means by that. He has shown the strength with His arm. He scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. So not just, he's not just taking their position and you know, taking their wealth away, but it's, there's internal conflict within the proud. Scatter the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. Interesting. In two verses of contrast, he's brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. Then he reverses the order of the contrast. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich 
he is sent away empty. So those three verses, 51, 52, 53, really are explaining his mercy is for those who fear him. So what does it mean to, that, to fear the Lord? To be in awe. To be in awe. Okay. To recognize his glory. To recognize his glory. Okay, why would we call it fear, though? I mean, it's, it, it, it wouldn't, it's, in my mind, when we recognize His glory, that would be elation. But in the Old Testament, fear is not, as we think, of something, be afraid of something. Mm-hmm. It is to be aware of and to hold it reverently. Yes, to be aware of, to hold it reverently. It's not uh, terror, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, there are places where we come into PVC prison people come into the presence of God and they're terrified. I mean, they, they feel sure they're, they're going to die. Yeah, Melinda? I think too, to be accountable. To be accountable. Nice. When okay. I was little, <clears throat> I only got spanked twice by my dad because I was a pretty good kid. But I was fearful. And why? It's because I didn't want to disappoint him. And I wanted to be a good kid. And I loved him. So I wanted to, you know, it's like if you have that little bit of fear, it's like someone is judging you, but in a good way. Mm-hmm. And you respect them, and you want to be good for them. So that's kind of like a good fear, you know, not a bad fear. Sure, yeah. But it's like, so mm-hmm. you're responsible for your actions, and then you know if you misbehave, something's going to happen. That's right. You know, so, so that, I think, is a, a good kind of fear relationship. Yeah, and accountability. I, I like that. I only got spanked twice, too, um, a day. The, um, um, but... Um, <laughs> so... I mean, clearly what, what Mary is saying is that, is that God lifts up the lowly and He pushes down the high and mighty. That, that's, that's the pattern, right? That's the M.O. The, um, he lifts up those who can't or won't lift up themselves. He lifts up those who can't or won't lift up themselves. He humbles those who can't or won't humble themselves. Why is God so concerned with reversing your station? Why is God concerned with reversing your station? Don't you think you get kind of comfortable in your, where you are? And by changing your station, it puts a new slant on things. It allows you to have a more full understanding. So, uh, Susie asked, if, if we're comfortable, that allow, uh, allows us maybe sort of get lazy. And by reversing our station, he, he puts a new slant on things. But doesn't... I mean, I mean, he starts Isaiah 40, comfort, comfort my people. First Corinthians uh, chapter 1, or Second Corinthians chapter 1, he's the, the God of all comfort who comforts us in our affliction. So there's a, there's, a play, there's a sense in which he wants us to be comforted, maybe not comf- comfortable, um, in that laziness sense. Yeah, Jim. Um, I see it as we don't, see ourselves the way that he does and we have wrong impressions of mm-hmm. ourselves either positive or negative and he wants to do away with that right he wants to do away with the wrong impressions that we have uh, of ourselves i think that's i think that's right i mean in jeremiah it says the the heart is deceitful above all things when I, and, and i think hopefully you know by now in two years of, of being under my teaching is that when I say that we're sinful, that doesn't mean you're wicked. It means we're rebellious. Uh, it doesn't mean that you're, you're wonderful. I, I love you. You're amazing. It just, it just means 
that we are inherently rebellious and we need, we always stand in need of a savior. We're still lacking. People hear you're sinful and either think, oh, you know, they hear the finger wag. But that's not what we mean. It means is is that we are um, separated inherently by God and we need Him to do uh, the rescuing. And so when we don't think we need rescuing, that is a haughty spirit. Look at me and look at all that I've achieved. Look down on people who are, are lowly. And... Um, and so God, it's God is saying, we need to, you need to put yourself off of your high horse, as we would say. And yet for those who are uh, unduly oppressed, who have a, um, I, we don't say low self-esteem, but, but who, who have, uh, who have a, uh, un, no advantage in their life, or they have um, been oppressed in some way that God wants to lift them up. All of this, I think, wants, God wants us to look at Him. Right, rather than to look at ourselves. I mean, just as much as you're, if you're down in the dumps, you can look at your, you can be looking at yourself and woe is me, and you know, feeling of self pity. Just as much. I mean, to me, that's the same thing, lit really, as being sort of high. Somebody, yes. Well, right, right, not you, Dorsey. <laughs> you're next. Respect. Yes. But appreciation of his grace. Yes. When you flip right. the clothes. So so it is a matter of his kindness that he humbles the the high, right? And in a matter of it just as much as a matter of kindness that he lifts up the lowly. Yes. Now Dorsey. Right. And at the at, at the foot of the cross the ground is even. Okay. So in, in bringing the mountains down yes. and the valleys up. Not putting the mountains below the valley and the valley above it, right. and everything level there. That's right. He's not creating the valley into a mountain. He's creating. He's putting everything at the foot of the cross. And I love that. At the foot of the cross, the, the ground is even. I love that. ML and the millennium. But our world must be balanced, and that's what God does. He achieves through creation the balance, and we as humans run off and make it wobble. Yes. Yeah, we do. Okay, good. Good. He, he, he brings order and balance and we make it wobble. Yeah, last thing. To, uh, to mm-hmm. what Jim said, I think that when I look sometimes at things in my life, I think, well, God sees me as the final picture at the end and I'm kind of doing my own thing here. And I think that things happen in our lives, good and bad, so that we can grow and we can go to Him. Yes. Know, to situations in our lives that make us complete. Mm-hmm. We're not complete. He wants us to fulfill our purpose, I guess, is a way to look at it. Right. And we're journeying through that. And sometimes we make mistakes, sometimes we don't. But it's like He wants us to remember to rely on Him instead of ourselves all the time. I heard a, a great uh, statement by a theologian named Gerhard Ferde, who's a Lutheran scholar, who said that the Christian life is learning to live into what is already true about you. Learning to live into what is already true about you. You are, you are holy. You cannot be more holy than you are. God has declared you holy by the righteousness of Christ. And yet you look at your life and think, well, i got some work to do. Sometimes right? I think there's an E after the L. An E after the L? And the word holy. <laughs> and a W before the H, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, no, H O L. Okay. O J. Yeah, holy. H O L. You're right. Okay, got it. Got it. It took me a minute. You're smarter than I am. Um, 
So his mercy is for those who fear him, says Mary, and that doesn't change. That is his character. He is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. Uh, it is from generation to generation. That's what that means. It, it doesn't change. This is who God is, and it's always who God is. His mercy is for those who fear him. Uh, to fear him is not to run uh, scared, but a sense of, as you said, reverent awe, a sense of the correct order of things, a sort of determined, reverent, uh, glad, maybe, submission to his will. We have a, a puppy at home, and she's kind of a mess. She's no Jeff, let me tell you that. Um, <laughs> but she, she knows who her master is. It kind of flops back and forth between Caroline and I, depending on what's best for her. Uh, but but she, um, it, she knows when she's done something wrong. I don't have to yell at her to make her tuck her tail. She looks at the trash can and looks at me and she's gone, right? She, 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 there is a, uh, she knows who's in charge and she, has a, uh, uh, she, she fears what might come. I don't have to raise my hand. Uh, she, uh, she knows that she's done wrong. Now, she, she goes and hides under the bed. She doesn't, she doesn't come up and lick my face. But um, she, she has a, a sense of, of fear, uh, in that right order of things. Now, we just got to work on mercy, but um, that's sort of what I say when I see the trash can. Mercy! Um, so, his, you know, we say in the right one service, his, his property is always to have mercy. Right? His property, is, that's an old English way to say his character, his nature, uh, is always to have mercy. That's who he is. Uh, but you think about a, a you know, if your two-year-old comes in and is mad as a hornet and is swinging at you, and you just have your hand, you know, on the uh, on the uh, the head, and the kids just you know swinging like this, you're let them wear themselves out, right? They're fighting, they're fighting, they're not submitted to that, and you're just, I mean, there's nothing you can do in that moment to change the the heart. You just gotta let them wear themselves out, and I feel like God treats us like that sometimes. That um that that to fight. His will is to be unavailable to His character. To fight His will is to be unavailable to His character. His property is always to have mercy, but His mercy is for only those who fear Him. If we don't fear Him, if we're not in that order, we can't receive His mercy. But think about Jesus. I mean, th- Jesus can, carries this character in His, uh, in his expression. He's, he is the full expression of the deity of God, and yet he, we hear over and over, Come to Me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Not come to the, you know, come to me, all who are successful, and you will find a big pat on the back and a and a club membership. I mean, that's not that's not that would be ridiculous. The ones who have access to Jesus are the ones who recognize their weariness. Come to me, all you who have are um, are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Where he says, I came not to call the righteous, uh, but sinners. I mean, you can just, uh, over and over, episode after episode, think about it. Think about the woman at the well. You're just broken by the men who have uh, loved her and left her. She's, on her. she's had five husbands. The man she's with now is not her husband. There's no situation in which, whether they've died one after the other, or whether she's been divorced or any combination, there's no situation where you've had five husbands and the man you're with is uh, not your husband, where there's not just utter heartbreak. 
And it's to her that Jesus comes and offers the, the water, uh, the living water, the well of life. Or the garrison demoniac, where he, you remember, he goes across the lake, and out comes this man, and then the, that's the, the 2,000 demons come out and go into, the, go into the pigs, and it's just a crazy story. Um, and yet, the, the man certainly, under, he, I mean, the first thing he says is, Have you come to torment me, Jesus, son of, Naz- you know, son of God? Jesus of Nazareth, Son of God. Have you come to torment me? He, is, he understands that he is subject to the wrath of God. And yet Jesus has mercy on the man. He sends the demons uh, to the pigs, but he has mercy on the man. Or the Syrophoenician woman. He says to her, it's not right to give the, the dogs the children's meal. And she says, but even the dogs eat the scraps that are thrown from the table. I mean, she has this... I mean, that, that is... Uh, there's, this, there's some, a level of offense in our culture, but for, I mean, she had, the, she had a proper subjection. And he says... And he, I don't remember the words exactly, but he says uh, he calls her blessed and sees her great faith and he heals her daughter. Uh, she is... She, she lives into the metaphor that he's speaking to her in. She, there's a proper submission. And it's, it's when we're properly sub- subject to Christ that we are available uh, to His mercy. Now who can't, as we see through, through life of Jesus, who can't Jesus help? And you think, well, I don't want to say He can't help anybody. But over and over again, the Pharisees, right? Because they don't believe Him. They, they just assume, they come to Him with the assumption that He is wrong and He's messing up their stuff. The, um, you know, the, the, the Herod and, and, and that lot, the, um, those who uh, will not s- listen to Christ, who will not s- um, submit to Him as God, uh, He cannot help them. The ones in, uh, in Nazareth, when He comes to speak and says He can do um, nothing uh, no great work among them except heal a few people. If I could heal a few people, I would think that's amazing. But um, and yet, it seems there's, there's a sort of sense of disappointment because they are scoffing at him because he was. They remember little Jesus, you know, making paper airplanes with the with the bulletins in the synagogue. Um, but he he's he is uh, he is the Son of God, and he is um, and they they. They can't see him as anything other than what the familiarity, what they grew up with. The human side. The healing side. Well, it's just they can't. They're not subject to him. The human side. They're just. They're. They're not subject to him. The orders out. His mercy is for those who fear him, from generation to generation. So the gospel is the great leveler. The proud are brought down. The lowly. Uh, are lifted up, and they're, but they're brought to the same place. Like I love, I'm going to use that again. Dorsey said the, the the ground at the foot of the cross is is level. It feels so different because the lowly are they're like they're brought up to that Edenic place uh, where they're naked before God, but they're unashamed. Right? I mean, he, he from him no secrets are hid, and and they rejoice because they've been in the dumps and they're brought up. To the foot of the cross, and they're laid bare before Him, and they're unashamed because of the mercy they've received. But the 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 high, the the lofty, 
they are also naked before God. Um, from Him no secrets are hid, and they feel totally exposed. They can feel completely naked, but stripped. Uh, it's like, you know, like when you lose your cell phone or you leave it somewhere and you just you feel completely naked, right? You just feel like, and I, well, if your priest is up here talking about using the word naked over and over again, maybe you're feeling a little uncomfortable. I don't mean it like that. I just mean that, that, um, that, that it's vulnerable. 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 Um, the things that used to clothe us, we used to wrap ourselves in and have been stripped away or shown for the rags that they are. And rather than feeling joy because we are with the Lord as we ought to be, exposed. we are exposed. That's right. So, so the question is, what about us? Are we positioned, uh, are our hearts positioned to receive His mercy? That's, a, that's an Advent question. Kind of a whole year question. But an Advent question. If His mercy is for those who fear Him, are our hearts positioned to receive His mercy? How, how might we get there? The, um, you know, this is why, again, confession seems like a negative thing. We're just going through the things that we've done that are wrong. But I, I personally think that confession is a wonderful, cathartic uh, practice it doesn't have to mean you don't have to go through a laundry list. It just, we just continually, day by day, uh, remind ourselves and tell God that we need Him. That we aren't our own Savior. That our job and our spouse are not going to save us. Our, um, our independence or our finances. We put no trust in those things. We thank God for them. They're great blessings in our lives. But, uh, but we are, uh, they are not our Savior. No amount of accomplishment, no amount of affirmation will get us to where we need to be. It is only in Him. And yet, Lord, I know I try to make those things God-like things and just ask You to forgive me of my sin. And it just keeps us at that foot of the cross on that level plane. Uh, confession, I think, is the, is the way, the best way, that repentance uh, to put ourselves in a position to receive uh, His mercy. It's under... If, you, if that's not a proper, if that's not a regular practice of yours, it may be hard to understand that or hear that without saying you need to constantly, uh, maybe hard to hear me say that as if I am saying that you're, you need to constantly beat yourself up, self-flagellation. But that's not what I'm saying at all. So if you hear that, don't, I don't mean that you should have, you have low self-esteem or anything like that. What we want is God-esteem, right? We want to, we want to lift uh, Him up. All right, so I, I, if we have a minute, I'll, I'm going to look at the song of Mary, I mean, the song of Hannah, just to show you that they're kind of similar. If not, if we don't, we may have some discussion about some, the other things, and you can go look at 1 Samuel chapter 2, which I encourage you to do. Hannah, who is the mother of Samuel, has a, a similar song. But, uh, but let's talk about this question first. If we have time, we'll talk, look at the other. Uh, are our hearts positioned to receive His mercy. How do we get there by, I think, mainly, principally, confession, repentance, as a, as a practice? Go ahead. You are doing it in confession is verbalize what you've already done. I mean, God knows what you've done. Yes. So all you're doing is confirming and verbalizing 
all these things you've done so that you may receive. So he's saying confirming and verbalizing what you've done, even though God already knows, so that you may receive His, his mercy. That's right. That's right. Uh, the things you've done, the things you left undone, the, the motivations of your hearts, the things you've wanted to say and thought better of us, but still, I mean, you know, God, Jesus takes that Sermon on the Mount and just goes right to the core, doesn't He? Yes, Emil. One of the things which helps is to admit the dark places in your past. And the way you heal that is to ask the Lord Jesus to put the sunshine of His love Mm -hmm. into all the dark corners of your mind and heart and soul. And it happens. Mm -hmm. The more you pray that, Every day, the more it happens, and then that's where your contentment in His constant presence with you is the overwhelming love that He's trying to pour mm-hmm. into you. Yeah, I think that, uh, so ML said, if you couldn't hear, ML said that, uh, and, no, yeah, no, people can hear you. Uh, I, ML said that, that we constantly a- are asking God to sh- we're telling him about the dark places in our past. We're asking him to shine the light of his love on that. Now, what that made me think of, ML, is that, is that a lot of times we carry shame around. And shame has claws. Right. And when we verbalize those things, shame begins to loose, it has to loosen its grip. But if you give it to another person, this is why Christian community is so important. If you confess your sin or the sin committed against you, uh, the sh- if you confess your shame to another person, verbalize it, give it to someone. You've made yourself vulnerable, right? Do, you, so you need to pick wisely who, who you're doing this with. But, but when someone else has it and they don't treat you with shame, they treat you with love and mercy and grace, it's, it's, it loses. And the more you can verbalize your shame, the less power it has over you. Because shame lies and it says... It says, you can never tell anybody about me because, because it's, uh, you're dirty. And if you experience that you're not dirty, you're clean. But you remember that that's, that's what mm-hmm. Satan does. He takes He's a liar. of the truth. But since it's always a lie, and you just have to go to the Holy Spirit and say, I know that Satan, and I will put on my armor and protect myself because you are with me always. Yeah. Now, there may be things we've done in our life that, that are shameful, but that's what we have the cross for. It doesn't, again, we're not letting ourselves off the hook. I mean, Jesus died, it cost him his life, but um, that's what humbles us so much. But how does that keep you if you keep doing this? You, it's, it's self-flagellation if you continue on that path of shame for the same thing over. Well, what I'm saying is if you, if, you, if you just keep that thing inside, you'll keep the shame. But if you verbalize it, if you give it to other people, that it necessarily loosens it. It has to loosen its grip. Because now you've, def- you've broken the lie that people can't know it. That's the lie. You have to keep this in the dark. If you bring it out in the light and other people have it, then the low are lifted up because you're, you find within Christian community that you're actually loved no matter what. And it becomes a tangible expression of the love of God. you got to do it wisely, but you got got to do it. I mean, I, I find incredible freedom uh, in letting other people know. Yeah, but your sins are like... 
That's right. Yeah, my, that's right, Susie. My sins are just tiny. That's why I get to be a priest. No. Yeah, most people are priests. God makes people priests um, so they'll come to church. <laughs> you know, like that. Otherwise, we're out of here, right? Yes, Katie. Well, you know, we've talked a lot about prayer and confession, <clears throat> but I think the thing that has helped me to to get to a level place and stay in a level place for a while, anyway, mm-hmm. is through not just my own devotional time in Scripture, but to be in group, in group Bible study, mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. you get so much from what other people learn and discern mm-hmm. from from the scriptures. And you for yourself learn how forgiving God is and how he doesn't want you to wallow in that pit. Mm-hmm. And right. you need that affirmation. Mm-hmm. You know, con- at least I do. You know, it helps to have that regular. Well, you know, that's why we have the that's why we have the the wheel, you know, we started in worship, but fellowship is so important, but so is Bible study. So we've grown in that, whether it's individually, but especially together. I mean, I hope each of you makes an effort to be in a small group Bible study, whether it's a couple's Bible study or a, um, a women's group or a men's group. If you don't have one, we'll help you start one or point you in the right direction. So, um, PhDs need to be in regular Bible study. PhDs need to be in the back of the class, right? It just needs to be regular people. Uh, opening up the Word of God and allowing the Holy Spirit to do the work. You never know it all. Yeah, PhD, if you have a PhD in Bible, shut up and let other people talk. Right, that's good. Um, yes? I just want to put a plug in since we're talking about Bible study. The Wednesday morning Bible study, mm-hmm. Wednesday Bible study is starting the new study on the 9th. Okay. We'll be doing experience. Experiencing God, just a classic uh, January 9th. 10th. 10th, whatever that Wednesday is. Wednesday. And then there's also a Monday night women's Bible study. Uh, and then we're starting a couple of men's groups. We'll have a Thursday night group and a Friday morning group. Um, and then there's the co-ed Bible study that Dorsey leads. Uh, and, uh, when it's going to go up, it's going to move back to Wednesdays. Uh, that's going to be on the Wednesday evenings. There's also a men's group on um, Tuesday mornings at 8.30 that meets at Bob Evans. And if none of that works for you, we'll help you start one. No, I mean, and we've got uh, First Friday Family Fun that uh, anybody can come to. That's a, that's a great thing. Um, so just we just need to be in the Word with, with other people. Sir, do you have any more bas- those sacks to give out? Yeah, the blessing yeah. bags. Blessing bags? I think we're all out of those. But you can make your own. Of, there are a lot of people now who yeah. are in desperate need. Yes. They're all over the place. Yeah. Yeah, you can um I encourage you to go and get some Ziploc bags and some and go to the Dollar Tree or go to the Target and make your own. That's fantastic. All right, well, go to second, I mean, first Samuel chapter 1 and 2 and read the story of Hannah and read her song and just do your own little Bible study on how how Hannah's song is is similar to the Magnificat. Thank you for your wonderful discussion. God bless you. Study your Bibles.